Thank you very much for ministering in music in light of some of the songs we sang and the message of what Karen just sang. We should rejoice in what we have in Christ. So much that we have in Christ. And in light of what we have in Christ, being open and sensitive and responsive. And as I mentioned occasionally, as I share scripture, I share that coming from a perspective of a number of love affairs. First of all, <clears throat> I love the Lord, I love Christ, and desire to be faithful to him. I love scripture and desire to be faithful to the living scripture Christ and also to the written scripture, the Bible. And then also I love you, I care for you, I do pray for you faithfully and seek to encourage you and trust that as we interact with God's word, we'll find encouragement in scripture. A number of years ago, <clears throat> as we were flying from New York to Santo Domingo, we were approaching Santo Domingo and beginning our descent into Santo Domingo. And you would look out one side of the window and you'd, it was, you know, dark outside and you'd see a flash of lightning. You'd look out the other side and you'd see another flash of lightning. And I remember the uh, captain coming over the air. He says, don't worry, we're safe. We're between two thunderstorms. Enjoy the scenery. <laughs> and it was kind of intimidating, you know, when you see it on both sides of you. But darkness and all of a sudden, a flash of lightning. I also remember years ago when Danny and I were out at Yellowstone, we went to where we were going to spend the night and a storm came up and I said, Danny, we can't sit inside during this storm. Let's go outside and just watch the storm. And again, it was coming towards dark. And just to see the power that God displayed through that storm, see the flashes of lightning, hear the thunderbolts, makes you think about God's power. But it also makes me think about Christ and what we discussed from Mark chapter 9 and verses 2 through 13 <clears throat> as Mark continues to encourage the Roman believers as they're being persecuted. Remember, he's writing to the Roman believers they are going through persecution. And it'd be a blessing to hear what is they would have been hearing. We're going to read Mark 9, 2 through 13. Mark 9, 2 through 13. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them in, up a high mountain where they were all alone. Then he was transfigured before them. His clothing became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. 
And they ask him, why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they've done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. As we consider this passage, it's vital to keep in mind the preceding context. Jesus stated in, verses, in verse 31 that he would suffer. And after stating he would suffer, he would be rejected, he would be killed, he would rise from the dead, Peter rebukes him. But then Jesus rebukes Peter and talks about a call to radical discipleship, which involves denying self, taking up your cross, and following Christ. And then he says, or Mark says, in verse 1 of chapter 9, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. I'm in the conviction as you study the gospel of Mark that we reach a turning point at this point in Mark's gospel. And the reason I think you reach a turning point is because of the structure of the passage, the identity of Jesus is vital to discipleship. Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are Christ. You're the Messiah. But we know that the 12 had a misconception of Messiahship. Jesus had to clarify that, as he does a number of times, that it involves suffering. It involves rejection. It involves death. So discipleship also involves suffering, sacrifice, and perhaps death. Peter had it right. You are Christ. You're the Messiah. But they didn't see the rejection, the suffering, and the death that would follow. Mark's presentation of Jesus reaches a decisive point at Caesarea Philippi where these events event, or took place. Until we get to Mark chapter 8, we find Jesus teaching, healing, and interacting in Galilee and Decapolis. But it's not until this point in ministry that he challenges the 12 with, who am I? Will you follow me? And he posed the question, as I mentioned a little earlier, who do you say I am? And they said, you're Christ. Peter said, you're the Christ. But see, the 12 would have had a Messianic triumphal thought of what was involved with Christ. They were thinking of Christ being the Messiah that was triumph without suffering, without rejection, without death. We tend to think that today. We today tend to think heaven without denying self, taking up your cross and following Christ. We tend to think God will fix your marriage, your physical problems and finances. We tend to think salvation is just escaping hell. And we tend to think what will Christ do? rather than seeing the fact that discipleship involves suffering, rejection, and death. 
the climatic disclosure immediately following what Jesus says about radical discipleship, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Concerning the transformation of Christ is linked to suffering of Christ. See, Jesus talked about rejection, suffering, death. He talked about radical discipleship. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And then we have the transformation of Jesus. The transformation reflecting back on, yeah, the one that's going to be rejected, the one that's going to suffer, the one that's going to die, is worthy of being followed because of who he is. Who is this Christ? Who is the one who said he must suffer many things? He must be rejected. He must go to the cross. Who is this one that says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me? The answer is found in verses 2 through 13 of chapter 9. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them to a high mountain. Six days after the events of Peter's confession of Christ, Peter, I'm sorry, Christ predicting his rejection, his suffering, and is going to be killed in his resurrection, his call to discipleship. Six days later, the events in 2 through 13 are taking a place. And he's taking Peter, James, and John with him. Peter, James, and John seem to be somewhat of an inner circle. You know, that had some experience with Christ that the other nine did not have. But he takes Peter, James, and John with him, and they go to a high mountain where they're alone. That is Jesus, Peter, James, and John. In verse the end of verse 2 says, there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. Now, the word transfigured is used four times in the Greek New Testament. It simply means the outward appearance is becoming, in this passage, what his inner character or being was. Matthew 17 and verse 2 talks about Christ and his transfiguration. His inner being is let out for a period of time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, Paul talks about the glory of Christ and the glory of the gospel and the fact that we're transformed from the inside out through the gospel. Romans 12 and verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, because as your mind is renewed, what happens? The action changes. So when Jesus is transfigured, his inner character is coming out. Who was Jesus? Who is this one that is going to suffer? The one that's going to be rejected? The one that's going to be killed? Who's going to come from the dead, the one who calls to radical discipleship, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. We're dealing with Christ. Now, to drive that home, let's go over to Luke's gospel. Luke's gospel in chapter 9. Luke 9. 
and verse 29, Luke is talking about the transfiguration. Luke 9 and verse 29, as he was praying, this is when he's up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, the appearance of his face changed and his clothing became as bright as a flash of lightning. Now think about it. Here we have Christ. He's on the mountain. He's being transfigured. And he became as, clothing became as bright as a flash of lightning. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse 15, we find that Moses spent some time with God on the mountain and he came down and his face shone. What is taking place? Christ's nature is coming out. Let's go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. The one who called to radical discipleship, who was he? I said Philippians 1, Philippians 2. 6 through, or starting with verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And go back to verse 6. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Christ came to this earth. And in coming to this earth, who being in very nature God. When you see Christ, you see God. But he was willing to humble himself and take upon himself the form of a servant and become obedient to death. And then we know that he was exalted as a result. Let's go over to the book of Revelation to see another parallel passage on Christ. Who is the one that is on the mountain? Who is the one that is being transfigured? Revelation chapter 1. Begin reading with verse 9. Now keep in mind that when you read the book of Revelation, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation is about unveiling Christ, making Christ known. Verse 9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and heard behind me a voice or a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. 
And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, or as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. And behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. The context makes it very clear that John saw Christ. Verse 18, I'm the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forever and ever. As we think about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, and he is transfigured who Jesus really is, is coming out. Jesus had said, I will be rejected, I will suffer, I will be killed, I will rise from the dead. Jesus had said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. The disciples were struggling with all of this suffering and rejection and death. The transfiguration is, I think, saying to the twelve, it's saying to the Roman believers, this is who is telling you to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow me. None other than God in human form. Look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 14. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of rushing waters. His face like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Who is the one calling the 12 to radical discipleship? The person described in Revelation chapter 1. Who is the person who said, I must suffer, I must be rejected, I must be killed, and I must rise from the dead? The one being described in Revelation chapter 1. So the Roman believers would have heard the book of Mark being read to them. And they come to the fact that they're suffering. They're being rejected, and some of them have died. What encouragement. The one that we have denied ourselves, taken up a cross, and are following is the one who is God in human form. Go over to Revelation 
chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 19. Let's begin reading with verse 11. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dripped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. you read the text, the rider on the white horse is the one who was being transfigured on the mountain. The rider on the white horse was the one who said, I must suffer, I must be rejected, I must be killed, I will rise from the dead. The rider on the white horse was the one who said to the twelve and to the crowd, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. What an encouragement for Peter, James, and John. This Messiah will suffer. He'll be rejected. He will be killed. He will rise from the dead. And if we choose to follow him, we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. But he is the Messiah, he is the Christ. Now go back to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 9. The transfiguration would affirm that Jesus should be followed. But he's transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And then we find that Elijah and Moses were talking with Jesus. Both of these men had previously conversed, conversed with God <coughs> on mountaintops. Moses on Mount Sinai, Elijah on Mount Horeb, these had been shown God's glory. Both also departed in unusual ways. Moses went in up to Mount Nebo, and God buried him. Elijah was taken in a chariot of fire. Moses was a great lawgiver. Elijah was a great prophet. Moses was the founder of Israel's religious economy. Elijah attempted to restore it. Now, the text says that Moses and Elijah appeared, and they're talking with Jesus. 
What do you think they were talking about? Dr. Luke tells us in his gospel, they spoke about his departure, which was about to be brought to fulfillment in Jerusalem. Here's Moses, here's Elijah and Jesus, and they're talking about the departure of Jesus. Remember, Jesus talked about his rejection, his suffering, his going to the cross, and his rising from the dead. Moses and Elijah talking to him about it. They were talking about the cross. They were talking about Jesus' death. And the tense indicates in Luke that this was an extended conversation. Moses and Elijah and Jesus talking for an extended time about what was going to happen in the life of Christ. Probably blew by the three because they still didn't grasp the suffering part. But nevertheless, Moses, Jesus, and Elijah are talking. Talking about Peter's confession. Who's Jesus? He's the Messiah. Now notice what the text says. There there he was transfigured before them. His clothing became dazzling white, whiter than snow. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. And then we find Peter responds... But notice what it says in verse 7. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. We'll touch on it more next week, but the cloud seems to be the Shekinah glory of God that appeared to Israel at the tabernacle, that appeared to Israel a number of other times. I want you to stop and think and ponder and meditate. The one whom Moses could not look at is present with Peter, James, and John in bodily form, Jesus Christ. Christ is Emmanuel, God with us. The glory of Moses as he came down from the mountain, being with God, being in his presence, his face shone. Here we have God incarnate with the three. A couple applications as we wrap it up. Take time to meditate upon the character, the identity the being of Jesus as evident in his physical appearance when transfigured. Take time to meditate. What is meditating? An extended time where you think, where you ponder. And when you're done thinking and pondering, you think and you ponder some more. Turn off the TV. Turn off the phone. Put your... Put your phone away and find a spot where you can think about 
the transfiguration of Jesus. Read Revelation chapter 1, read Revelation chapter 19, and then ponder that the one who said, I must suffer, I must be rejected, I must be killed, I must come from the dead, the one who called to radical discipleship, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, is God incarnate. And his glory is coming out in the transfiguration. We tend to become what we think. Think, meditate upon Christ and who He is. It changes the way we live on our jobs, the way we treat our mates, the way we drive, the way we handle our money because we deny self, take up our cross, and follow Christ. Christology, or the study of Christ, precedes discipleship. Discipleship is following Jesus for who he is in his character, his identity, his being, not merely what he would do or does for us. I've chosen to deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Christ. That's radical because I'm following Jesus who was transfigured as described in his character in Revelation chapter 1 and chapter 19. Unless we're convinced of who Christ is, we don't follow very well. So I can say to my wife, honey, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Because Christ has called me to radical discipleship. He has called me to be Christ to my wife. And since I'm not perfect yet, I have to admit at times that I'm wrong. I can do that because God gave me a radical call. But if I'm not convinced that Christ is who he claims to be and who he is transfigured communicating his character, then when the calling becomes tough, you tend to back up and say no. Be encouraged if you're rejected or suffering following Christ. He is the one who cl he claims to be the Son of God. Stick with him. Oh, the Roman believers hearing this, reading about the transfiguration, we have followed Christ. We've denied ourselves. We've taken up our cross. We've followed Christ. We will follow because he is who he claims to be, the transfiguration confirming that call. So if you get rejected, you suffer, stick with Christ. because of who he is. Pose a question. Are you a disciple of Christ? Are you one who has chosen to follow Christ? If you would answer that question, yes, are you willing to suffer, to be rejected in following Christ day by day? Because of Christ and who he is. Are you willing to work hard on the job and be made fun of because everyone else wants to get full-time pay for 50% work? 
If you're not a disciple of Christ, will you consider choosing to follow him? Because of who he is.